With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Player Profiler and our podcast network is super resource intensive, and we rely on premium subscriptions to the website playerprofiler.com to keep the engine running. Go there, sign up for our player rankings, Dynasty Deluxe, DFS package, or go all in. Those that subscribe are everything to us. Welcome to First Class Fantasy. I'm here with Scott Barrett of Fantasy Points. Uh, really, really stoked to have you on, Scott. You are you're one of the sharpest guys around. Uh, really, really enjoy your content continually. What you're putting out podcast wise, and what you're putting out with your written content. Um, you wrote an article a few summers back. I don't recall the year, but it was Upside Wins Championships. It was like one of the best fantasy articles I've ever read. Uh, you know, you could put it up there with some of like the evergreen articles maybe you could kind of share uh with everybody kind of that article um because i think it resonates today oh you're muted scott oh my bad yeah, yeah. No, no problem now you're now you're there well you definitely won me over by by hyping up that article that's that's like one of my proudest works uh it's like a general theory piece just talking about how fantasy football is dominated by the four to seven true power law players in any given season uh, like how many players actually matter for fantasy? Like you would say, well, there's the 24 starting running backs and then there's 24 to 36 starting. And it's like, throw that out. Really in any given season, it's only like four to seven fantasy players actually matter in terms of swinging your league. Like in 2019, uh, if you had Lamar Jackson and Christian McCaffrey, there was like a 25% chance you didn't win your championship or you didn't advance your championship. Um, and so it's just generally uh, in fantasy football, if you're talking trades, two nickels are never worth a dime. And just you really need to be prioritizing upside when drafting, especially in the middle to late rounds. Um a player's upside is always more val- valuable than his downside is detrimental. I think like a perfect example this season is Kadarius Tony, just you know, drool-inducing upside. And I I, I know the the downside is just as bad, but because upside's so much more valuable, uh, he's a player I find myself drafting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you people get so caught up into chasing those guys that might be floor plays in those rounds, whereas like the the best fantasy players know that those the hit rates in those rounds are already kind of low 
in terms of what what we're facing in the first the first second third etc so really swinging for the fences you mentioned Lamar Jackson uh you know like last year Jalen Hurts was a prime example you know that it was deciding to to wait a little longer and get him he, the market corrected a little bit uh later as we later in the summer but for the early drafts I mean Jalen Hurts was fantastic um and then I think this year you know you bring up Tony uh it's a, it's a prime example of kind of fading maybe a little bit more of an aging wide receiver going for one with upside that we haven't seen sort of like an unknown upside chasing uh yeah there's a there's a few things about that that kind of make this murky like how do you define upside and it's it's really hard to argue it's just you know uh production versus price but like uh some would view Joe Mixon right now as a safe play or Keenan Allen as a safe play uh Tyler Lockett as a safe play, but I I'm viewing those as upside plays because we know Joe Mixon's upsides in, incredible. You know, he finished sixth in fantasy points per game last year, ranked second in XFP per game, but he's RB 28 on underdog. Uh, so just phenomenal value also really safe, but massive upside, like, you know, top three fantasy, a top three fantasy running back is immense upside to me. Um, it's important not to conflate, uh, 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 upside with risk, like a high risk player isn't necessarily a high upside player and vice versa. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's an interesting way that you look at it where a lot of people associate upside with with youth. It's not necessarily it's a combination of many things, including situation. What do you have coming out this summer, Scott? I know you got some great stuff coming up podcast wise uh, and written content wise over at Fantasy Points. Yeah. yeah. Uh, next week, I'm going to have a, a four part series on strength of schedule. Uh, I really, you know, this is sort of overrated looking at f- forward look schedule and trying to come up with takeaways after things change in free agency in the draft. But I, I really like the way I do it, which looks at it from schedule adjusted fantasy points per game allowed, which is a more accurate approach. Uh, and then I'll look at, you know, who has the hottest uh, early season start to the schedule. Who has the best postseason schedule? That really matters for like underdog tournaments. Uh, who is the best overall schedule? And then I'll contrast uh, 2022 strength of schedule with projected 2023 strength of schedule, and that can really go a long distance. Like Kyle Pitts, if he had this schedule. Uh, this is a season. If he had it last season, he would average two more fantasy points per game. If Justin Jefferson had his schedule last. Uh, this year that he had last year and same for Cooper cup Jefferson actually would have outscored cup by 2.5 fantasy points per game instead of falling like 1.5 fantasy points per game shy of that. And then I'll do like a, a bunch of the other articles. I always tend to write anatomy of a league winner upside wins championships and the uh, underrated upside series that follows that a best ball Bible. But yeah, thanks for giving me a chance to plug all that. No, awesome. And we're going to get a chance to dive into this rookie class and some other uh, topics can really help you win your redraft league uh, after we hear from our sponsors, the FFPC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, 
The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. You know, people always ask me, hey, what is the, the World Series of Fantasy or the Super Bowl of Fantasy Football? And it's easy. It's the FFPC, the Fantasy Football Players Championship. It's a $6 million prize pool. And they've had their never-too-early best ball leagues cranking since February. And so the FFPC is the answer to so many questions. Hey, hey, where's the best place to get a dynasty orphan? Well, you can adopt a dynasty orphan at the FFPC. That's why we partner with them. If you want to play fantasy football for low, medium, high stakes, seasonal, best ball, dynasty, go to the FFPC. And don't forget, promo code UNDERWORLD gets you $25 off your first team. $25 off your first team, no matter what team it is, no matter what format it is, at the FFPC. Go do it. Shout out to the FFPC. Uh, a lot of dynasty uh, startup leagues are, are over there. They've really, really got started. I'm in one. Uh, Scott, we recently participated in the Black Crown League uh, run by Curtis Patrick. We had our rookie draft. That was an awful lot of fun. I think our teams are kind of in, in opposite directions this year. Um, I'm trying to get mine, mine really young. Um, but we're also in a startup draft uh, run by Scott Bollinger, a.k.a. Jax Falcone. Uh, that one is is really exciting i think we're in like the 15th round now thank god the the clock was shortened to four hours today so i'm sure you appreciate that as well it's a 40 round draft right yeah it's it's That's uh, incredible it's uh dynasty purist uh deep 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 league um but it's uh it's a lot of fun this is a rookie class that um we've dove into at length rookie drafts have sort of come and gone but our evaluations continue I know you do an interesting model approach when you look at the rookie class. It's it's uh it's it's great. You put a lot into it. Maybe you could kind of share your model and kind of your thoughts on on evaluating rookies in general and this class. Yeah, this is my my favorite piece of content uh, I put out each year. I, I really just from the end of uh, before the Super Bowl until. I don't know, a few weeks after the draft, I work on nothing else. And, and I do have a model. It doesn't look at projected draft capital like everyone else. It really focuses in on the most predictive metrics for each position. That's to a very small degree. Athleticism, my uh, custom metric, spork score, uh, but larger for you know running backs. It's things like missed tackles force and it's various iterations, yards after contact per attempt. For wide receivers, I really think the rest of the community gets things wrong. Things like yardage market share, if it's not adjusted for target competition, uh, isn't really a relevant stat to me. It's more things like age-adjusted yards per route run, um, yards after contact per reception, uh, yards after after the catch per reception, uh, looking at quarterback play, looking at uh, target competition, uh, and making a number of adjustments. Uh, who was this player's play caller? Where did his production come from? Was it primarily in the slot? We have to devalue that. If it was deep slot production, we really have to devalue that. Was it coming on rub routes and pick plays? Was he being schemed open? Uh, what were his separation rates, et cetera, et cetera. So um, yeah, I spent a really long time on this. 
Uh, I feel really good about my my rankings. My my hit rate's been really good for a number of years now, uh, and uh, always excited to talk rookies. And, and like I said, this is my my favorite piece of content I'll put out all year. Yeah, and I think what's interesting about your evaluations for rookies is oftentimes you may like a guy a lot more than the market, and you may be more a down on a guy that maybe you know most sites are are kind of on. Maybe uh, share that a little bit, uh, Scott. Maybe kind of guys guys this year that you were a little bit ahead of consensus on? Yeah. So I, I intentionally throw out projected draft capital. I just, uh, I'm sort of LARPing that I, I work in an NFL front office. That, like, that's what this piece is for me. It's a total vanity project. I overwrite it. I'm sure all my subscribers wish it was, you know, I don't know, 10,000 words shorter. Um, but uh, yeah. And so the, the player who really stood out this year was Marvin Mims, just looking at his analytics profile I couldn't in good conscience rank him, rank him as anything less than my wide receiver too. Of course, after the draft, draft capital becomes a key variable. And so he slid down to my wide receiver five, but pre-draft, he was my wide receiver too. And it's just because his analytics profile was so much better than any other wide receiver after JSN. Uh, in high school, he recorded the most career receiving yards of any wide receiver in Texas state history, the most single season receiving yards in our nation's history as a freshman. Uh, he recorded the second best age adjusted yards per route run season since 2014. As a sophomore, it was the best ever yards per target season since 2014. And then as a junior, uh, under his, uh, second different head coach, his third different quarterback, uh, really good production, really good, uh, metrics in the the variables variables that everyone else really cares about yards per team pass attempt, which is very predictive uh, yards after the catch per reception. It was the second best season by any wide receiver in the class. Athleticism was better than that of Jordan Addison, better than that of, in my opinion, Jalen Hyatt, Josh Downs, Zay Flowers. Uh, and then he had good draft capital. It was, you know, technically round two draft capital, last pick around two. He was handpicked by Sean Payton, the first pick Payton ever made as a member of the Denver Broncos. Uh, so it's just a player I loved and uh, really don't mind the landing spot. So uh, definitely probably my biggest hashtag my guy this year is Marvin Mims. I love that. We were actually very high on him at Player Profiler as well. We have him inside the top 40 wide receivers for Dynasty. Uh, we were high on him before the draft. And I think that it's such a funny narrative where you hear uh, about the potential log jam in Denver, where, uh, like you mentioned, Sean Payton makes him his very first draft pick, trades up to get him. And some people are scared off by the fact that, you know, they have wide receivers who we know in Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy. I mean, they who were dead- trying to trade, by the way, yeah. desperately. And dead last in points per game last year. I mean, they, they're desperate for playmakers. I think it's such a, it's such a, a weird um, discount you're getting on Marvin Mims right now. Like, we rarely see him get inside of, of the top 12 in rookie drafts. You know, he's been a second round guy, um, you know, pretty much in every FFPC and, and other format that I've been in where like in a, in a grand scheme of things, where would you take him? Uh, if you, you know, the rookie draft do over, like, would you have uh, pounded the button at like one Oh seven for him? Non super flex. Yeah, that's actually exactly where I have him in my rankings. One Oh seven. That's awesome. So I have a, I have a ton of Marvin Mims. So I just wanted to flex that. I probably have over 20% right now in FFPC. So thank you, Scott, for making me feel good about my Marvin Mims exposure. Um, I would be contractually obligated to ask you about Bijan Robinson because I'm pretty sure every single 
podcast you go on, somebody's going to ask you about Bijan. But I want to take it to a redraft uh, context. Bijan has steamed way up uh, in the FFPC 350s, the the uh, Players Championship. We're seeing him. He was going at the the 107 as running back two. Now, over like the last 10 days, he's he's slid up to 106, still running back two. But now he's like going in between Tyreek Hill, uh, Stefan Diggs, those sort of like elite players. And he's going ahead of Austin Eckler. How do you view Bijan Robinson from a redraft perspective this year? What's an appropriate place to be drafting Bijan? Yeah, I'll be honest. I, I don't really have a good take here. This isn't something I, I spent a lot of time on or really dug into, but just at first glance, it doesn't seem right to me that he's going above Austin Eckler, who's, you know, RB one over the past two seasons, probably even Jonathan Taylor. Uh, it's, Love the talent. You know, I, I I talked about how I had him as an even greater prospect than Saquon Barkley, uh, generational runner who's also extremely underrated as a pass catcher. I think he averages a higher career yards per target average than Zay Jones, Jalen Hyatt, uh, Zay Flowers, um, and Arthur Smith. You know, his his Falcons offense led the league in rushing attempts last year despite a seven and ten record. Uh, you know, he prior coached Derrick Henry is talking about wanting to to use him, maximize him as a receiver, which is absolutely crucial for his fantasy potential. But by the same token, you know, it's it's not a good team. It's not a uh, I don't trust the quarterback at all. Uh I think Tyler Algier is gonna get a lot more run than people hope or expect. Uh, I just wouldn't take him over Austin Eckler and it's at least really close between him and Jonathan Taylor. So right now RB two, uh, I'm probably not taking him there. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's, it's a tough one. You know, we, as the summer kind of moved along or excuse me, the spring moved along, Billy and I were first arguing before the NFL draft, like a Jonathan Taylor versus Bijan Robinson without knowing the landing spot. And now it's it's totally jumped up, and now we're we're kind of gauging him against these elite wide receivers. So um, I I don't think that the uh, the train has stopped. I think he's going to slide into the top five in some of these higher stakes drafts. Um, that's just kind of the way it's going. Um, but it's interesting you mentioned his receiving prowess. I think that that's what really really makes him attractive as like an elite dynasty asset. Uh, over the last ten years, the RB one overall has averaged like over eighty catches a year. Do you have like a particular archetype in your evaluation of, of Bijan that you could compare him to as a receiver? Is there like, do you think he's got the potential in the right system to be a, like a 90 catch Saquon season, or is he more like a 65 catch Todd Gurley type season? Not to go too off show sheet here. Uh, yeah. Todd Gurley is probably a good one. I mean, like even Najee Harris had 94 targets as a yes. rookie. I think he's a better pass catcher than Najee Harris. Uh, Jameer Gibbs is unique in that he was flexed out to the slot and even out wide at a really high rate that you just like don't see from running backs. He actually wasn't great there. Bijan wasn't used in that area at all, but he was peppered with deep targets. He had one fewer deep target over the past two seasons than Michael Wilson. Uh, he had the same ADOT as Sam Laporta, uh, so, which is really unique uh, running back usage. Uh, so I'm optimistic he's a lot more than just your typical really good pass catching running back. Speaking of really, really good pass catching running backs, uh, J- Jameer Gibbs is like an absolute rocket ship right now uh, in Dynasty and in redraft. 
what are your expectations for him in year one? Like, how do you anticipate Detroit's going to use him out the gate? Uh, and then how do you kind of weigh him uh, when also thinking about David Montgomery? Do you think it's going to be uh, more of a nuisance there in terms of limiting his receptions? Or do you think it's not anything to worry about? Uh, yeah, I, let me just preface all of our rookie conversations by saying I, I really didn't like this class. I think I said uh, early, early into the offseason that if I was in a pre-draft rookie draft, the only running back I'd be happy to take is Bijan. That was before I wrote up Gibbs. And, and once I wrote up Gibbs, I really did fall in love with him. I viewed him as sort of uh, Austin Eckler. Basically, where like I wasn't sure if he was going to be a bell cow his first two seasons in the NFL, but I think it was only a matter of time because he is to me, he profiles to me as easily the greatest pass catching running back to come out since that season, which included Eckler, Kamara, Christian McCaffrey. And then as a runner, I thought he was extremely underrated by all of the key efficiency metrics, not volume metrics, efficiency metrics that mattered most to me. He was just as good as Zach Charbonnet. And then this landing spot happened and it's like, yeah, immediately to me, you can make a case for him as the RB2 in Dynasty Startups. I think he's my RB3, but you could really make a case there. I'd rather have him than Brees Hall than, I don't know, just about anyone minus maybe Jonathan Taylor and and for sure uh, Bijan Robinson. And so, yeah, that I, I, I came back to that Austin Eckler comp after the draft. He had amazing draft capital, top 12 for a running back, extremely rare in this day and age. Uh, it's clearly value and they prioritize him. And, uh, you know, they were doing backflips when they took him. And so I, I see it as sort of like Austin Eckler in 2019, where he he split carries with Melvin Gordon, but he dominated targets and he finished as the RB4 in PPR leagues. Because sure, he's he's not going to, you know, get every snap usage like Bijan theoretically could it just doesn't really matter because this Detroit landing spot was so good. They have a top five run blocking offensive line. They ranked, what was it? Fourth in carries last year, sixth in targets first with like twice as many as the next closest team in inside the five carries. Um, and so, uh, by XFP, by team XFP, uh, the, the average 28.3, which basically means like if he gets just 55% of the backfield, he's Jonathan Taylor. If he gets 66%, he's Christian McCaffrey. If he gets 70%, he's Austin Eckler with the best usage in fantasy last year. So uh, absolutely love him, love the player, love the talent, love the fit, love the draft capital, feel really good about him. Yeah, it's extremely exciting. And I think that it's interesting you bring up where you would put him in context of other running backs in Dynasty He's got Brees, Brees Hall beat on draft capital, certainly, and he doesn't have he's not overcoming an injury like Brees Hall. And then Jonathan Taylor, we have him next to a rookie, a rookie quarterback. Uh, that's it's going to be very interesting. I think that there's a, a big case for Jameer Gibbs up to RB2. I agree with you on that. Like we've moved him up. He's RB5 overall in our dynasty uh, running back rankings and player profiler. And it's like it seems light. And every single startup you get into, he seems to be going higher and higher. Um, I took him 111 this week in a startup, an FFPC non-superflex, and I think that that's about right. And I wanted to also follow up off show sheet. Uh, what was your general thoughts of this rookie class of quarterbacks? Is there one that you like, or are you just disgusted by the class? Oh no, uh, yeah, quarterbacks a different story. Yeah, and in, in superflex, the, the class looks a lot better. Um, yeah, I'm an Anthony Richardson guy. Just insane athleticism. He's basically Vernon Davis with a cannon and then bright white Whitefield, who is our 
film expert over here said if he were an NFL team, he would take Anthony Richardson 101. Uh, that was to him the best quarterback in the class from an NFL perspective. So you add in his hypermobility and what that means from a fantasy perspective. I think that's just easy. So uh, Anthony Richardson won, and then I'll just follow draft capital from there with Bryce Young and CJ Stroud. Yeah, you know, I wish I would have come up with the Vernon Davis with the cannon. And I think that that's that's like I, I actually didn't. I stole it from a good buddy, uh, Steve Palazzolo. But uh, yeah, just just love that line. And if you like look at their athletic profiles, it's it's pretty damn close. It's it's nuts. Yeah. If you, if you line them up at the combine, they would test very similar. You're absolutely right. And about the same size. Um, Want to keep this going. We talked about Bijan Robinson. We talked about Jameer Gibbs. We got to talk about something not so exciting. Last year, we had Ken Walker. He came on, played great, went over a thousand yards, uh, was really, really helpful in terms of helping fantasy teams win championships because he did a lot of this in the back half of the season. Uh, They gave him, I believe it was like 29 carries in that playoff game. They really, really fed him the rock and his dynasty value kind of shot up. We were apprehensive about that. Billy and I thought that he was being overdrafted and redraft. We had JJ Zacharyson on. Uh, and JJ made him one of his big dynasty cells. Shout out to JJ. JJ looks super sharp right now because Seattle went out and drafted Zach Charbonnet in the second round. Um, how do you anticipate this backfield shaking out? Do you think that this is some sort of a split or do you think this is a Zach, uh, a Ken Walker kind of a discount season? Like how should we, how should we interpret, interpret this, this mess in Seattle? Yeah, it's no, it's absolutely a mess. Um, I will say I didn't really like Zach Charbonnet as a prospect. I think Kenneth Walker is a much better runner. And I really don't think, I think Charbonnet is an overrated receiver. I think Kenny McIntosh is a better receiver. Um, As far as usage. Yeah. I think it's going to look like what we saw last season prior to Rashad Penny's injury, where he handled something like 60% of the work. Kenneth Walker handled like 40% of the work. Uh, Maybe it's a little bit more in, Walker's favor because I, I thought he was good last year and a, a much better prospect. Uh, but yeah, it should just absolutely stay away from a fantasy perspective. Uh, Pete Carroll's been a running back by committee coach. He's just, it hasn't worked out like that because he likes a very physical downhill runner who uh, tends to get hurt. Um, yeah. I don't think either running back has starter worthy upside should both running backs remain healthy. And and just by that, I mean, like you're never going to feel good about starting one or the other in your, in your lineup each week. It's very, very gross. Uh, Ken Walker sort of become a dead zone guy now where he was going in like the second round. And so now it's kind of like he's going in an interesting range in redraft, but for, from a dynasty uh, theory question, if you have Ken Walker already rostered, would you make the effort to try to acquire Zach Charbonnet, or is that going to cause you even more headaches to have two sides of the, of that coin? Oh yeah. I, I think that's even more of a headache and I, I don't think Charbonnet is a good value at all. So I think you're just, you're just stuck with, with Walker and you have to accept that. Now you mentioned you didn't like Zach Charbonnet um, off show sheet. Were there any running backs in this class that you were maybe higher on the consensus or that you just would have had closer to, you know, RB three level overall, uh, maybe your thoughts on Kendra Miller, who's a very interesting player right now. Yeah, he was my uh, RB three, both pre-draft and and post-draft. Uh, you know, he wasn't he didn't do anything as a receiver. He wasn't really elite anywhere, but he was great everywhere as a runner. 
my model just saw the most upside for him. I, I really like the landing spot. Alvin Kamara is looking at a potential five-year prison sentence, and he hasn't been good for a number of years. Uh, Jamal Williams is just a guy. Uh, definitely think Miller's a lot more talented. So uh, I, I do like him. I think Devon A-Chain fell into a perfect landing spot. Uh, so there's some upside there, although I don't think he's ever going to be more than like a 12-touch max guy. Uh, Chris Rodriguez, I, I thought he was a little underrated. I, I actually really like that landing spot, handpicked by Eric Bieniemy. The Ed Brown three grades on him. Uh, so I would say those are the maybe Kenny McIntosh is a poor man's Brian Westbrook. Like that's in play. The athleticism was so so bad, but then draft capital wasn't good. But you know that there's a very very small possibility that's a that that can happen. So those would be the guys. Oh, and Dwayne McBride too is a, a small school insanely efficient, uh, uh, mostly just a runner, not, not going to give you anything as a receiver, but what, what did I have for him? I think like he could be Jordan Howard 2.0. So anyway, those are the names I'd give you. Yeah. That don't even put the Kenny McIntosh stuff out there. It, it would be too much of a mess. If, if there's another Seattle back that is taking anything <laughs> right. more away from Ken Walker. Um, but I want you to elaborate on Chris Rodriguez. Cause I think these names are really, really important. I mean, I think that a lot of these these guys that are competing for handcuff jobs or even interesting number three backs, these guys kind of gain a little bit of steam over the summer. We've seen it in past seasons. Chris Rodriguez is super interesting. I've heard your thoughts on him. Uh, why don't you share those uh, with the first class fantasy audience? Yeah. So my, my model did think he was a little underrated. He's sort of like the prototypical typical wrecking ball of a running back uh, averages 8.5 yards per carry in the fourth quarter over his career. Uh, his missed tackles force per attempt yards after contact per attempt went ranked uh, really good. Uh, I think better than, or, or just about tied with Zach Charbonnet in both instances. Um, he uh, oh, better by by career metrics for, for those. Um, and then it's just the, the team loved him. Eric Bieniemy was like dancing on the table when they picked him. He said he has a, a clear vision for how he's going to use him in year one. They had round three grades on him. And then, uh, I I mean, what what do we think of Antonio Gibson? Like Ron Rivera hates his guts. You know, he was fully in the doghouse last year prior to the Brian Robinson injury, uh, injury and then you know, Robinson, sure he was hurt, but he was also easily one of the least efficient running backs in football last year. And sure he had round three draft capital, but uh, according to Nikki Javala, the commanders had round three grades on Chris Rodriguez. So, you know, there's not much upside. It's a committee backfield and he's not going to catch passes, but you know, there's an outside chance he can lead the team in carries really just, you know, the big takeaway is I, I just hate this class. There you go. There you go. Um, and uh, that, that's uh, Brian Robinson. I don't anticipate he'll be in any of your your upside articles this summer, Scott. He's sort of the opposite of that. I mean, it's hard to find upside among these running backs. Everyone's in a committee backfield these days. So one uh, to, to stick on this rookie class, uh, Quentin Johnston was a guy that you had red flags on uh, in terms of your evaluation of him. But he lands with sort of the nut spot in, in Los Angeles with the Chargers and, and Justin Herbert. <laughs> How does the landing spot kind of change your evaluation for him? Are you still worried about him as a prospect or does this certainly help? Yeah, no, let, let me say this. Uh, I did find some very damning red flags on Quentin Johnston, but his red flags weren't as bad, in my opinion, as Jordan Addison's 
as Josh Downs, as Zay Flowers, as uh, he was my pre-draft wide receiver three behind Mims and then post-draft wide receiver two and in part due to draft capital. But yeah, I, I think this is a great landing spot. Uh, uh, I was tweeting out yesterday uh, something about catchable targets per game among all teams and the Chargers ranked either for, yeah, they ranked second best last year. And it was basically saying a 30% target share in Chicago is worth less than a 15% target share uh, with the Chargers. Like he could be the wide receiver three and still be in a better situation because the Chargers go so pass heavy and their quarterback is so accurate. So a uh, great landing spot. Again, I, I don't really love this class, but his draft capital differential versus Mims was enough to bump him up to wide receiver two. And uh, yeah, he had the red flags, but there was also a lot uh, beyond that to like. Poor went out for, for DJ Moore uh, dynasty managers <laughs> listening to Scott talking about the 30% target share, meaning nothing. Um, wa- wanted to kind of follow up. How do you anticipate? We already saw Mike Williams kind of dip below 20% target share last year. I think he was like 17%, 18%. Uh, that's kind of shaky ground. What do you think uh, a, a receiver like Quentin Johnson coming into uh, Los Angeles does in terms of making the the target tree a little wider? Uh, would you worry a little bit for for Mike Williams uh, this season? I, I think Keenan Allen's kind of his own guy. I don't anticipate too many of, of his targets going to a rookie, but it seems like it would really affect Palmer and Mike Williams. Well, you you traded me Mike Williams in Black Crown, right? Yes, I did, but I will clarify. We, we there was good value for you in that. It was Jaden mm-hmm. Reed straight up, mm-hmm. um, and I have a a team that is hopeless this year, and your team has a lot of hope. You're an older <laughs> right. team, so it was a it was a classic dynasty trade that uh, that milkshakes were shared in that trade. <laughs> so, so I I don't love Mike Williams this year. You know, he was supposed to be Joe Lombardi's new Michael Thomas. Lombardi was obsessed with him, and he still really couldn't get it done from a fantasy perspective. You know, maybe injuries played a role, but clearly the decision to go out and draft around one wide receiver doesn't bode well for him. It doesn't bode well for Josh Palmer. Something that was really interesting uh, listening to the press conference with Tom Telesco is, uh, well, for one thing, he he was asked, do you think uh, Quentin Johnson can come in and start year one? And he was like, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We really like Josh Palmer, which like you don't want to hear. Usually teams are a little more optimistic when they just drafted a guy 30 minutes prior. But the other thing he said was, yeah, we really like what Quentin Johnston's yards after the catch ability does for Keenan Allen and Gerald Everett. <laughs> it was just weird for, for me to hear Gerald Everett listed uh, as a priority over Mike Williams. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm guessing that, you know, week eight throughout the remainder of the season, QJ would be viewed as the wide receiver too, from a fantasy perspective. Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting. And there's definitely going to be a a discount uh, on Mike Williams, a slight one. Uh, He was getting steamed up before the draft. We definitely consider him to be somewhat of a loser here. Uh, One other wide receiver landing spot, uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, everybody predicted would be the first wide receiver off the board. And he was the landing spot is interesting because there's there's other targets there in DK Metcalf and also also Tyler Lockett. Uh, what are your thoughts on him as a prospect uh, and your expectations of what he does to the target distribution in Seattle? Yeah, I, I think he's an easy fade and redraft. Uh, 
Seattle also historically runs 12 personnel at one of the highest rates in the league. And Pete Carroll was asked if Shane Waldron being there, plus the decision to draft JSN, uh, means we should ex- expect a change in uh, personnel. And he was just like, no, absolutely not. We we love our tight ends. We love what that does to this offense. We took JSN because we want to maximize those three wide receiver plays when we do have three wide receivers on the field. Uh, and then from a dynasty perspective, I, I, I couldn't think any differently. Uh, Tyler Lockett's getting up there in age, you know, contract is almost up or it's easily easy to get out of in a year or two. Uh, just because I loved this player's profile, his analytics profile to me, drafting JSN today is exactly like drafting Keenan Allen in 2013. I think he's just going to be a annual wide receiver one for fantasy. It's just going to be a rocky start. And if you're, you're forced to choose between a Jameer Gibbs and JSN, the, the tricky thing for me is I think JSN pro- probably returns more value over the next 20 years or whatever, but I think you can get JSN like three rounds cheaper in a startup four months from now. Yeah, I agree on that. I think that's a great way of looking at it. Um, JSN a year from now is going to be much, much more valuable to you than he will be this year. I still think he's going to have some flex type value because of the talent. And I think he's the sort of player that's going to command targets. But, and again, Tyler Lockett, uh, we haven't seen him, you know, recede, but he is getting older. So it's, it's going to be interesting. Uh, we really love JSN. And I have heard you mention the word Cooper Cup uh, also with JSN, which kind of got me excited because I also made the same sort of comparison, more in the sense that he's the kind of player I could see some offensive coordinator in the future saying, you know what, that's it. This is 170 targets for JSN this year. Well, that's the big problem with slot wide receivers is they really are so scheme dependent. You know, like the perfect fit was you know Ron Rondale Moore to Cliff Kingsbury. Rondale Moore just wasn't very talented, but it's uh, uh, a head coach who lives in three wide receiver sets, loves these short, quick dump off, low ADOT targets, and it couldn't have been a worse landing spot for, for JSN just in the short term, just a, a really high rate of 12 personnel. If, if it doesn't change at all, he's basically capped at a 60% route share, which is like so bad. It's so hard to be anything for fantasy unless of course there's an injury or whatever, but yeah, that's the, that's the big concern with uh, slot wide receivers. We had a very interesting class of tight ends. It almost seems like a transformative year for Dyn- at the dynasty tight end position but I first want to talk about a second-year player. You recently tweeted about Chigakonkwo and his incredible yards per route run. Uh, he had the seventh highest since 2009, and the only other names on the list uh, to hit this were like Kittle, Mandrews, and Gronk. What are your expectations for Chig this year in year two? Yeah, I, I, he's a tricky one. I will just say like these tweets I'm putting out uh, – some people misread it and like, oh, you know, Chigo Conquo is definitely one of Scott Barrett's guys. That's not, that's not the case. I was just writing my article. And sometimes the best way to express a bull case argument or an upside argument versus a downside argument is to just like lay it out in Twitter format. So that's what I did here. He had one of the best yards per route run seasons by a tight end in NFL history. That's one of the best and most predictive stats we have. But the downside of that is he only cleared a 50% snap share once. And I don't know that Tennessee is going to, uh, that has any plans of that changing with Austin Hooper still there. Uh, they have like a weird offense that's sort of designed around getting one receiver open. 
Uh, and when Traylon Burks went down or, you know, was underwhelming that Shake just sort of became that guy. So I'm kind of torn on him. I, I think that upside argument is compelling. If you want to draft him, uh, I, he's just not someone for whatever reason I'm finding myself drafting a lot, but that again, that, that one stat is crazy. Yeah. You got people excited with that tweet, Scott. I'm not going to lie. Um, so the, the, it's interesting because Chig is like in that kind of like that tight end dead zone right now for, for redraft where he's getting steamed up. It's kind of like an Albert O, um, we've seen last summer where these guys, the whole fantasy community starts getting really excited about a guy with kind of unknown upside and oftentimes the targets are not there. So he's, he's definitely an interesting one. Your quick thoughts on Greg Dulcich as well, another second-year tight end off show sheet. Do you have, are you bullish on him? Yeah. So, uh, real quick, I think that was the perfect comp, Albert O. I think you could say looking at Chig's rookie season and his draft capital, that he is either going to be George Kittle, who you know j- just became a juggernaut, and his rookie season paved the way for that, or we should have saw it coming. Or it's Albert O, who's another guy who limited snap share, wasn't a full-time player, but was hyper efficient on a per route basis, but the increase in usage never came. Uh, as for Greg Dulcich, he, he's another tricky one. Uh, the bull case argument for him is he averaged 41.1 yards per game last season, which was the sixth most by a rookie tight end since 1990. Kyle Pitts, Jeremy Shockey, Jordan Reed, Evan Ingram, all ahead of him. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think this player is really good. But uh, Sean Payton being there sort of makes this a, a somewhat murky situation. Uh, you could say, hey, is this his new big slot wide receiver? Is this his new uh, Michael Thomas or Jimmy Graham? Uh, it's it's possible, you know, Jerry Judy is a slot. But he doesn't he doesn't fit that that, you know, big slot role. And supposedly Payton's still trying to trade him or it's just, you know, he, uh, it's a new regime that, you know, he wasn't handpicked by Peyton. He has no loyalties to him. We haven't seen a productive fantasy tight end from Sean Peyton since Jimmy Graham. So I don't know. It's tricky, but um, uh, I will say also typically the sophomore bump for tight ends, like can't be underrated as a rookie tight ends typically average 60% of their career baseline average. And then as a sophomore that jumps to like 95%, so uh, if you want to take a flyer on him or Chig expecting a massive sophomore breakout, it, it's certainly possible. Yeah, we'll hold out hope for Trey McBride as well, despite <laughs> the bad, you know, Scott's getting us all hyped with the, well, with the 90%. Ch- Chig ranked, Chig ranked uh, what was it, fourth or sixth since, you know, 2004 in yards per route run. Trey McBride ranked 797th. So, yeah, uh, not 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 great, but uh, I, I love the prospect coming out. So he, he was one of my misses if he does miss. Yeah, a lot of us uh, had hope for Trey McBride last year, and uh, we'll, we'll hold out hope. We'll give him a couple more months. I uh, wanted you to put these sophomore tight ends in context with the top three uh, that we saw in the NFL draft. Dalton Kincaid, fantastic landing spot, lands in Buffalo. Sam Laporta goes in the top 40, ends up being drafted by Detroit, great landing spot, and uh, Michael Mayer ends up in Las Vegas. Uh we're excited about this this class of tight ends. Uh, how are how excited are you about these guys? And maybe how would you view them uh, in terms of prospects, uh, in terms of your ranks? Yeah, pre-draft, I had it Michael Mayer and then Dalton Kincaid and then Sam Laporta, but it was all really, really close. 
And, you know, after I had published kind of thinking about it more, I, th I think I would put it even closer. Like they all kind of felt tied, even Sam Laporta, super underrated numbers. If you really dig into the, the background of his stats and the team environment and then draft capital was kind of very similar, except Kincaid went round one and he gets to catch passes from Josh Allen and the team said, basically they view him as a big slot wide receiver. So Don Kincaid, tight end one, a tier above, you know, easily around one pick and tight end premium startups, uh, not startups, but rookie drafts. And then Michael Mayer and Sam Laporta for me are tied. Uh, really similar analytics pro prospects, really similar draft capital, uh, probably similar landing spots as well. We actually have a question in the chat. Uh, is Sam Laporta over Michael Mayer at the 201 a big reach? And I would say, I'm assuming this is tight end premium. I think the question really becomes, is Sam Laporta over Michael Mayer a reach at this point, Scott? Are you view him pretty, pretty equal in terms of the projection of their career? Yeah, I, I think they're, I think they're pretty equal. Uh, talking to like NFL heads, like I had Jim Nagy on my podcast. He's the director of the senior bowl. Uh, a lot of teams in the NFL were really down on Mayer. Granted the, the Raiders had top 15 grades on him, but uh, a lot of these other teams, like you hear them talk, you think he is like Zach Ertz at this stage of his career, just like no juice, no upside. Uh, and that, that definitely makes me nervous, but just in terms of the analytics, he was a rock solid prospect. Sam Laporta was a little bit behind by the metrics that matter most to me, but digging into the fact that he had maybe the power five's worst quarterback play and adjusting for that, adjusting for the fact that he split out wide. He ran a, uh, the highest percentage of his routes against man and like building that in, you could really argue that Laporte is a better prospect and the landing spot Detroit, you know, which became this hyper-productive, uh, really uh, fertile ground for, for fantasy players last year. Yeah, that, that doesn't bother me at all. Yeah, me neither. I ended up with actually, I had them very similarly uh, ranked, but I ended up with a lot more Laporta because we saw Mayer going ahead of him. It Mayer's interesting. Like you bring up people being kind of unexcited about him. He looked a little heavy at the combine, like, and he ran a little bit slower than we wanted. Uh, his his forty time is not like scary. It's you know comparable to to Mandrews and and TJ yep. Hawkinson, but like that that number shouldn't scare you off. But like Laporta is more of like a hyper athlete, a little bit smaller. Yep. So I don't know. I'm I'm excited about about Laporta, but I don't think we should discount Mayer. What are your thoughts on Dalton Kincaid? Um, like th he's he's gone like completely in fuego uh, in like the FFPC streets. Like the guy is going off the board extremely highly in startups, and his trade equity is is crazy high with the tight end premium right now. I would equate his trade value as like TJ Hawkinson's trade value uh, as a rookie, like a, like a guy kind of a can't miss view. Yeah. I, I think he's probably a better prospect than TJ Hawkinson. Uh, you know, round one draft capital via trade up, uh, the bills were obsessed with him. They, they thought he was going to get taken, you know, nine picks earlier, uh, after years of getting their asses beat by Rob Gronkowski and Travis Kelsey, they went out and got Josh Allen, a Kelsey of his own, at least theoretically, He's going to be their slot, their big slot. Uh, they invoked the name of Cole Beasley when talking about his usage. That's ideal. He's not going to be blocking. We don't want tight ends you know, blocking. You don't get fantasy points for blocks. You want them running routes nonstop. Um, so yeah, I, 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 feel, I feel good about it. Uh, definitely really like him. One thing I'll just say, though, is uh, 
don't sleep on next year's class of tight ends. Next year's class is kind of obscene. Brock Bowers. Yeah, he's the best argue, ever. The best yeah, ever. Yeah, yeah. You could say better than Pitts. And like, remember how in, insane everyone was on Kyle Pitts. There's also Jatavian Sanders out of Texas. And my guy, uh, Gadsden, the big slot out of Syracuse. I don't know. Aronde Gadsden. I don't know if he's technically a tight end or not, but, uh, um, yeah, it's like, Clay, tight- like Claypool, like Claypool, I would say he's right. Like, you okay. Know, what we wanted Claypool to be a tight end. If Claypool was a tight end, we'd be talking about, Hey, Scott, oh my are, you, God. are you taking Claypool in the third round this year or the second? Right. Yeah. No, perfectly said. Yeah, that's exactly right. But yeah, I think that's an interesting one. Brock Bowers, like the hype that we have on Kincaid and the hype we had on Pitts, is going to be magnified because he's playing in the national championship game every single year and they're running re- like reverses with him. And apparently he's like a, like, an obscenely fast 40, which mm-hmm. that's a lot of that's a little like conjecture and teams talking about, but he certainly looks the part in terms of speed, but this is not a Debbie show. So we got to, we got to, we got to limit it at, at Brock Bowers, but all right, well, real quick, real quick. I have a great, I have a great Brock Bowers comp. Do you want to hear it? I would love to hear it. God. There you go. There you go, Scott. <laughs> that's going to be the, it's going to be the super flex uh, tight end premium rookie drafts to end all super flex tight end premium rookie drafts because You'll have Marvin Harrison, the best oh wide receiver God. prospect. And then we have two sort of can't miss quarterbacks in Caleb uh, Williams and Drake May. And you always know that there's another quarterback who's just going to jump and into like the elite tier this year. It happens. There's already a few like Cody Carpenter thinks there'll be like five potential quarterbacks in the first round of super flex drafts next year. But somebody's going to jump into like that top five tier. So you might get Brock Bowers at like the 105 in a tight end premium next year. Here's the best advice I can give you on this class is again, like I really don't like this, this class. It gets really gross after, I don't know, whatever it is, 106. Uh, here's what you do. And this is what I did in a ton of, uh, I, I drafted a ton of dynasty startups in the year 2020 and just stockpiled 2021 uh, rookie picks. And so I have so much Trevor Lawrence, Jamar Chase, Kyle Pitts, Justin Fields, Najee Harris, Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddell, Elijah Moore. Uh, so do that with next year's class. Next year's class is very cr- comparable. You have your Kyle Pitts and Brock Bowers. You have your Jamar Chase and Marvin Harrison Jr. You have your Trevor Lawrence and Caleb Williams. And then Drake May is you know, maybe better than any other quarterback from that class was. Yeah, it's awesome. It's, uh, it's definitely going to be something we talk about all year long. Uh, I wanted to kind of get your opinion on some post-hype sleepers. You bring up Elijah Moore. Last year, Elijah Moore was a disappointment. I mean, he got steamed up during the summer. I had so much Elijah Moore. Elijah Moore really, really, really hurt me last year. Um, But I still very much believe in his talent. I'll throw Elijah Moore, Gabe Davis, Cortland Sutton, Rashad Bateman, and Juju Smith-Schuster. They all failed to return value at ADP last year in redraft. Uh, and oftentimes these guys were all going in the first six rounds, especially when you got to like the money months of August and September. Uh, do you have hope for these guys in 2023? Are you in on any of them? You mentioned Elijah Moore. Maybe your thoughts on him in Cleveland to start out. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, I think, is dust. Okay. Rashad Bateman, he ranked top 12 in yards per route run last year, but he also averaged like a 68% route share in games healthy. He was not a full-time player for some reason. And then the team just went out and got Odell Beckham Jr. to like a 
massively inflated contract that was stupid and uh round one capital on, on Zay flowers who I didn't view as a round one prospect. So, uh, I get the upside with him, but he's probably not someone excited to draft Cortland Sutton since 2020 averages 6.9 fantasy points per game. When Jerry Judy has played at least 60% of the snaps, he is dust. Gabe Davis. I, I didn't like last year um, at ADP, but he, he's cheaper this year and you can kind of explain away his down year by the fact that he had a high ankle sprain suffered in week one. And that's a, an injury that can take three to four months to heal. So He's he's fine. I, I get the upside argument with him. And then Elijah Moore. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I can get stubborn sometimes if I just really feel convicted on a player's talents. And uh, I certainly feel that way on Elijah Moore. So uh, I'm definitely going to be going back to the well with him. And hey, if Deshaun Watson returns to his old ways, the sky's the limit. Yeah, and, and Moore has a path to the number two most targets in, in Cleveland this year. I think like that's that's going to be inter- interesting to see the way could be number one he could be because Amari's getting older and we never know when those guys are going to hit that that age where it starts to slip. Amari certainly, you know, hit over what what people thought he would be in terms of like ADP versus production last year. But this year he might be getting overdrafted and Elijah Moore is kind of free right now. Yeah. Also in uh, DFS, Elijah Moore in road games every single every single week. Last year, Amari Cooper averaged 22 fantasy points per game at home, 6.2 on the road uh, since 2017, 7.2 more fantasy points per game at home. My theory is he just like parties his ass off on the road and then like at home, he's a good husband. So, uh, yeah, Elijah Moore road games. Watch out for that. That's that's going to be the show title, I think, Scott. It'll be uh, Amari Cooper, Parties on the Road, Good Husband at Home. That'll be a good good show <laughs> right, title. I love it. Um, so I want, to, I want to keep going here. Last year, we saw high-end RB3s return exceptional value. Uh, Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders, Ramondre Stevenson, Tony Pollard, and Damian Pierce all beat their ADPs uh, in terms of like what you spent on them versus the production you got. Is there a running back this year that sort of stands out to you that might be a low end RB two high end RB three that could potentially sway leagues. Yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of uh, really good running back values. I'm, I'm not great at my, on my feet though. So I, I just had to pull up my article. Uh, Joe Mixon, I think is the, probably the single best value at any position. Derek Henry, RB eight on underdog. That's a great one. Uh, Rashad Penny, Love his league winning potential. Listen, I, I get all the downside, but I think if he stays healthy, uh, top 10 fantasy points per game. I think that's realistic. Uh, Josh Jacobs, an obscene value. I know he's not in the, the range you mentioned. Uh, Najee Harris, another one. Uh, we can excuse basically his entire first half due to the Liz Frank. Uh, James Conner, uh, I never thought this would be the case, but I love James Conner. He's RB26, so he fits that ADP range you're talking about. His only competition for touches are Tyson Williams, Keontae Ingram, Corey Clement and someone named Amari DiMarcado. You made that uh, name up, Scott. You made up DiMarco. Yeah. Uh, oh, so over the last two seasons, when given 60% of the snaps or more, averages 21.4 fantasy points per game, would have ranked second most last season. Uh, sure, the offense is going to suck. I don't think that matters. He's been more productive over this span in losses, 17.2 fantasy points per game. Sure, Kyler Murray is probably not going to play till week 10. I don't think it matters. Uh, he averages 21.2 fantasy points per game in the 10 games without Kyler Murray 
over the last two seasons. That would have ranked second best. So uh, another guy with injury concerns, but just uh, I think this is a tanking offense. I think the offensive line sucks. And I think they're just going to, you know, pepper him with targets and give him a bunch of carries until I guess he gets hurt. I love the James Conner call. I actually thought it was very interesting. Arizona debuted their new jerseys, their new uniforms, and they sent James Conner out as one of the guys. So it's like, it's going to be a bad team. They have a low win total, but he's one of those high volume running backs where you're going to look up and through eight games, James Conner is going to be like running back 11 and you could have gotten him way late in your draft. So he's super interesting. Want to quickly get your opinion. Right now we're seeing wide receiver four through 12 being very close in ADP. It's basically an incredible tier from like, and this is, this is FFPC, uh, uh, FFPCs, not, not underdog. So it's one point PPR, but you're basically seeing Stefan Diggs, CeeDee Lamb, Cooper Cup, AJ Brown, Amon Ross St. Brown, Devontae Adams, Garrett Wilson, Devonta Smith, uh, kind of all going in like a big tier and Jalen Waddle all going in like a big super tier of those players. Which is the wide receiver that you think is going to disappoint and which of them can absolutely. And there's probably multiple answers here. Which one here would you really bet on smashing their ADP here? Uh, You had Cooper cup in that range. Yeah. Cooper cup. And if you want to exclude him, he's sort of like the beginning of it. He's like seven usually uh, in redraft right now. Uh, without looking at my rankings. And so this, this might be off. Uh, yeah, I think I'd have it. Diggs, Adams, Amon Ra, AJ Brown, Wilson. Uh, so I will say like the odd man out who's going in round one in many drafts is, is CD lamb. I just like really don't like CD lamb. I was writing up my tight end article <clears throat> and, uh, Looked at so over the last over their last 19 full games, including the postseason, with Dak Prescott under center, CeeDee Lamb averaged 15.6 fantasy points per game. That's not high-end wide receiver one's numbers. 15.6 fantasy points per game. Over the same span, Dalton Schultz averaged 14.2 fantasy points per game. So only 1.4 less. And then if you exclude, so like part of me is bitter because CD lamb absolutely buried me in DFS one week. He was chalk. I faded him. My lineup was perfect except for that. And he went nuclear all because Avante Maddox, Philadelphia's starting slot corner got hurt on the third play of the game. And he went nuclear. If you throw out that one game too, then Dalton Schultz outproduced CD lamb, which like who is, who is valuing uh, CD lamb on a Dalton Schultz like level, by the way, I don't like Schultz. He signed for a deal worth less than, Josh Oliver and Tyler Conklin. That was this was in my article more of an argument for Gerald Everett or Jake Ferguson anyway. But just I think I think he's upside. I think he's overrated. I think he's way more matchup sensitive than he's gotten credit for. His where he has this massive spike weeks against really soft opponents like Avante Maddox's backup, or he just underwhelms. And then factor in Kellen Moore is no longer there, replaced by Mike McCarthy calling plays. I think this is going to be like a, they're going to sign Kareem Hunt or Le- Leonard Fournette, giving them 200 carries, and this offense is just going to be an absolute mess. That's that's a uh, definitely an interesting answer because we've asked that to several guests, and no one's on fading CD Lamb. So you're you're definitely out there, Scott, and I appreciate the bold takes. So you're you're putting out a lot of these upside articles 
Uh, you're going to kind of have your guys this summer. Maybe you can give everybody a sneak preview on one or two guys that you're going to be drafting a lot of. If you want to get the rest, you can definitely uh, subscribe to Scott's work at Fantasy Points. But give everybody a little taste here, Scott. A couple of guys that are going to be your guys this summer. Uh, well, we we talked about Kadarius Tony. I think he would be my favorite for Exodia status right now. Exodia is just like you draft this one player and then you log out, you win everything. And that's worked for me a number of years. Uh, is that the only one I want to give away? I'm trying to think. I don't know. I have, I have others, but I haven't, uh, haven't started the series or really dug into it. The big question for me this year is who is my league winning quarterback? Because uh, last year it was Justin Fields. The year before that it was uh, Hertz. Two years before that it was Lamar Jackson. So like, is there a hyper mobile Konami code quarterback or uh, who's also a sophomore? Maybe not. Maybe it's, Maybe it's the freshman, Anthony Richardson. I don't know, but uh, we'll, we'll, I'll have to figure that out. So they've, we, all, they've all been priced up. You know, it's yeah, like the finally, quarterback market. Finally people yeah. woke up. Yeah, finally. yeah. The quarterback market is completely priced up. And that I think that'll be the question we ask a year from now is, were people smart to draft these quarterbacks early? Or w- was there somebody who, who hit and hit that? But it's like, even the guys who would be in the, the running for QB1 overall, they're all pushed up too. So it's, it's mm-hmm. really hard to find value. I think Richardson is like the interesting one because he's going to start week one, it looks like, and he could be a thousand yard uh, rusher. If he exceeds expectations from a passing uh, standpoint at all, then we're talking about he could have like a, like a, a Cam Newton-like rookie season where he's hitting top five. Uh, so that would be very, very interesting. But Scott, we've hit the hour mark. Let everybody know where they can find you once again. Uh, this was awesome, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. You can find me at Scott Barrett DFB on Twitter and at fantasypoints.com. Awesome. Well, make sure you tune in next week. We're going to have Josh Larkey of the 33rd team and Billy Muzio will be back. Uh, thanks for tuning in, guys, and enjoy the rest of your week. Be sure to subscribe and activate those alerts so you get notified as soon as new videos drop. And be sure to check out playerprofiler.com. We have all the tools for you to dominate every type of fantasy league. We have a draft kit, Dynasty Deluxe, Data Analysis, DFS Dominator, and don't forget the player rankings to rule them all.